that's that's what happens when you don't see each other much for a few days. You just kind of get passive aggressive or aggressive aggressive. I don't know which. Uh, yeah, this morning I'm suffering from PTSD, post post tournament stress disorder. Uh, spent a great deal of energy the last few days uh, doing a bunch of different things at the tournament and trying to maintain uh, other routines as well and and was really really frustrated this morning trying to to discern exactly what God wanted us to share uh, I've read through the entire book of Joshua uh, almost every morning this week in my quiet time and and it's it's one of those things where I had a plan at one point of exactly where we were going to go with Joshua. And uh, as a military commander I read once said, no plan survives first contact with the enemy. And today that enemy was just fatigue. Uh, I really wanted to just chicken out all together and make Denise preach. Uh but God just continued to to be who He is, and to be a, a very present help in time of need, and to to be that source of strength when you don't have it in yourself. Uh, full disclosure: I'm really right there on the verge of a migraine this morning. Uh, it's something where I know when they're coming. Uh, there's this weird thing my eyes do that happens right before one sets off. So if I make awful faces, it's nothing you've done. And I'm not saying that so, whoa, you'll feel sorry for the pastor, but uh, just so that if I make an awful face, we know what has happened and, and I'm gonna keep hitting the caffeine in hopes to fight it off just a little longer and until I can go to the cold dark of my bedroom for a few hours and, and that usually rides it out. So. Uh, also, you know, I'm jokingly calling it part of my PTSD this morning, but uh, when we left off last week, if you joined us from our kitchen table, we talked about Rahab or Rahab, and and we skipped over big chunks of the story to deal with Rahab, and we're going to go back and pick some of that up because this is Joshua's story. And I, I think sometimes we disconnect from that because we, we try to make the Bible be things different than it is. And, and this is Joshua's story, and historians and biblical historians believe it was written by Joshua. So it, it, it reads a lot different than the writings of Moses. And the, the beautiful thing that you're going to see through the Word of God today is that God never wanted Joshua to be Moses. And I, I hope that somewhere along the way this morning that you'll take a hold of that truth that God never wanted you to be anyone but you. He called you to be you. And the best version of you is the you that has Jesus sitting on the throne of your life. That has accepted Jesus into your heart. That is the best version of you. The perfect version of you he created you to be. Now, are you always going to get it right? No. And Joshua doesn't either. But Joshua never makes the mistake of trying to be like Moses after the encounter that he has today. So let's jump in. Uh, 
what Jordan, and in case you're not familiar with the story, the one of the things that Joshua has to do is lead the children of Israel over the river Jordan. What Jordan has God asked you to cross over? And if God hasn't asked you to cross over a Jordan lately in your life, then maybe you need to spend just a little more time with him. Because you may be sitting at the side of a river and not realizing you were meant to cross it. Great place to camp. Uh, I've heard it's an interesting place to live in a van. But God is asking you to not be stuck. Okay, sometimes we get stuck because stuck is not always a bad, uncomfortable spot. Sometimes we get stuck in the comfortable, in the routine, where, well, let's just be real, it's easy. How many of you like easy? I really wish that those buttons that Staples had for years that you could push them and it said, whoa, that was easy. I wish that really worked. You know, <clears throat> comes time to to get a bunch of stuff done around the house, push the button. Oh, that was easy. Man, if the easy button worked for laundry, there's a whole lot of people in the room that would be a lot happier, present company included. I, I'm, I'm the biggest bear in our house when, when we get behind on laundry because I do my own laundry, so I'm mad at me. And I, I get really frustrated when I don't have something clean I need to wear and and then I'm a bear to everybody else. I'm mad at me, but I'm a bear to them. But <clears throat> stop chasing rabbits. Here we go. What is God asking you to do next? You ever ask yourself that? Do you ever ask God that? God, what's next? Well, what do you have for me to do next? And... I promise you, as long as you have breath in your lungs and your heart is putting out a pulse, God has a next for you. There is no retirement in the kingdom of heaven. And yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm right there with you. It's like, oh man. But if you really look at how God builds his kingdom, there is no retirement. And, and that's why... When, when you leave this life, when you die, people say you enter into your eternal rest. And from what I read in Revelation, it's not really going to be all that restful, but we won't care because we'll have bodies that don't get tired. They don't grow old. Uh, I'm glad we still get to eat. I mean, the marriage supper of the lamb. Whew. Okay, I got I to gotta focus in. We haven't even got off slide one. Joshua chapter five. As soon as all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed over, their hearts melted and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. Anybody else got bells and whistles going off? Okay. Hey, we step across the Jordan. Everybody is absolutely terrified us, uh, terrified of us. And what happens? God says, let's circumcise the men a second time. First time I read that line, I was like, huh? 
and I'm really glad, you know, and, and I put it up here in nice bold print so you could see it. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives. Meow. And circumcised the sons of Israel a second time. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gilbeth Haraloth. And unfortunately, once again, this name is boring and doesn't mean a whole lot. Uh, I was disappointed. But a second time, the, the thing I like about Joshua's writing is he doesn't leave a lot of mystery to it. Joshua will immediately go in to explain this. And, and the, the reason it's labeled a second time, it's a re-entering into the covenant by a new generation. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them all. Isn't that handy the way he writes it? All the males of the people who came out of Egypt, all of the men of war, had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. Through all, though all the people had been, who came out had been circumcised, yet all the people who were born along the way in the wilderness after they had come out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. The Lord swore to them he would not let them see the land the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. I love how it's explained. All the people who had been circumcised died. All the people who were born along the way were not circumcised. And I, I think there's a, a really neat reason for that is because God was not going to invite them one by one into the covenant. He was going to invite them as a people. And this is just reaffirming a covenant and reaffirming a way for them to carry a mark in their body that designated them the children of Israel. Because we, we studied way back in Genesis, all those people groups of the ancient world, how many of them practiced circumcision in the ancient world? One. So it was their children who he raised up in their place that Joshua circumcised. For they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised along the way. When the circumcision of the whole nation was finished, they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. So the, one of the things I gleaned from that is that there's times we were about to go into the next thing and God asked us to stop and remember. And sometimes he asked us to stop and, and to allow parts of our lives that are not going to allow us to, to be successful in what he's calling us to do to be cut away. And I don't know, does anybody enjoy being cut on? If you do, we need to have counseling. That's something that we need therapy for. I'm being real there. That, that is a problem some people have, that they, they sense they need to feel pain in order to feel they're alive. And if that's, your, if that's your deal, that's really where you're at. The spirit of slap dwells deep within me. I'll let you feel some pain that will not harm your body in such a bad way. But they need a time to heal. 
a lot of times we as Christians make the mistake of of trying to go to the next thing without healing up from the battle scars that came before. Without really dealing with the, the stuff that came before. There, there's times where God works a great victory in our lives, but in the process of that victory, you take some hits. And one of the things the church is terrible at, and Christians are terrible about this, is taking time to heal. Not just physically, but mentally and emotionally. We try to just keep going at breakneck speed, and that's not necessarily what God's called you to do. There are times God will call you to go very, very fast, but there's other times He will call you to cross the river and to sit down and cut out something that's slowly killing you or just something that isn't a reflection of Him, and then you have to heal from that. And a lot of us wonder why we're not effective for the kingdom. It's because we're the walking wounded and we're acting out of our hurt rather than out of place of being made healed and whole. And when the circumcising of the whole nation was finished, they remained in their places until they were healed. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And so the name of that place is called Gilgal to this day. Gilgal is a name for rolling wheel. When I first read it, I thought, man, what were their wheels made of? And I was so bummed it wasn't the Stone Age anymore because I was going to trace it all the way back and Dale, it was going to be the Rolling Stones. <laughs> I was going to make the connection and it just didn't happen. But, but God looked at them and he rolled away the reproach of Egypt. The, the reproach, and, and I, I struggle with that word because it's not something we talk about a lot, but the, the reproach in my mind is everything that was anchoring and, and drawing the people of Israel back to what they had in Egypt. Because all through the wilderness, what did those people do when they complained to Moses? Their complaint always tied back to Egypt. Couldn't we have stayed in Egypt and died? Well, when we were in Egypt, we had all we wanted to eat. Don't you remember in Egypt? The reproach was both the longing for what was and the sinful habits that they'd picked up along the way from Egypt. I think sometimes as Christians, we, we struggle a bit with our, our life before Christ, our BC era, where, where we look back and we think, you know, some of that stuff wasn't all that bad. The, that stuff that was really killing me wasn't all that bad. And we, we kind of want to go back to that. Or... And this is where it's going to hurt some toes this morning, so curl them up. Even in our walk with the Lord, we want to go back to the good old days. And I've, I've worked with a lot of Christians in a lot of churches that they want everything to be just like it was in 1954 or 1960-whatever or... 1980, I, I find myself wishing today was more like the 90s. 
all the styles are coming back, but the good music and and you know the the way people treated people, you know, we we long for the good old days. And and I think God is is who he is and who he's always been. He's the same yesterday, today and forever for a reason. So we don't have to be. Cuz if I'm the same as I was yesterday, am I really growing closer to him? If I'm the same as I was 20 years ago, then I haven't allowed God to continue to transform and to shape me into more of His image, into a deeper reflection of who He is. And we get stuck in those same patterns, the longing for what was or the good old days, and it blinds us to the good of the land God has set in front of us. Well, I, I, want, I want the United States to be like it was in the Reagan era. I don't. We, we didn't have the internet. We couldn't broadcast all over the world. Some people had the internet, but they were very, very rich. We... We didn't have Chick-fil-A in this part of the world. I mean, if you're going to eat chicken, it better be... Well, anyways. But the good of the land. I want you to understand that sometimes we get so hung up on the past or our past or the way things used to be that we miss out on the good that God set right in front of us. When you see people, do you see them as good or do you see them as, as completely broken and lost all the time? I think the struggle we have with reaching people is we're good at seeing sin. We're bad at seeing the soul behind the sin. That if we would look and see that there is good there, that, that there is a, a soul that Jesus died on the cross for behind those actions, behind that, that attitude and that sass that comes into my classroom that behind that grumpy person at the one register that's open at Walmart. I can't speak for the machines. I don't think they have a soul. But God has called us to see the good. You know what's really good about living in America? Is I can still share the gospel. Hey, is there coming a time, we talked about it in Sunday school, where I may go to jail for it? All right, I'll share the gospel in jail. They've already put me in jail. What's next? Oh, they want to execute me? Fantastic. Do I get last words? <laughs> you know, if they give me something last to say, I mean, I can't wait. That would be a lot of fun. Because close my eyes in this life, wouldn't it be cool to walk in to the presence of Jesus knowing the last thing you did on this earth was to tell somebody that Jesus loved them enough to die on the cross for their sins? Wouldn't that be amazing? A lot of times people say, I want to go peacefully in my sleep. I don't know that that's my plea anymore. I want to go, I want to go out sharing the gospel. I think that'd be a fun way to go. If, 
if that means I, I go at some point behind the pulpit here, I'm sorry if I freak you out. Okay, but hopefully I went out sharing the gospel. While the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month in the evening on the plains of Jericho. When I read that, it was like, man, God, that is almost contradictory to what you've been telling me about not just hanging on to the past with a white knuckle, but God rebuked me. Isn't that fun? Pastor gets, gets his hand slapped. That you're not called to let go of everything on the past. You're called to build it into where you're going. Yeah, I love that we're working on building part of a house right now so that I can see it as it progresses. Because if we started with the roof without a foundation and without walls, the roof would look really strange sitting in the yard. And it'd be pretty worthless. Not that my kids wouldn't find a way to have fun on it, but it wouldn't do its job. And if, if we didn't have what the church had in the 50s and the 60s and and beyond that i'm not going to age anyone out you know if you want to say the 20s i don't think we have anyone that old <laughs> but you go back to acts chapter 2 and god has been building on the church since it began and, and he's not finished and, and i love that that god wants us to continue moving forward and sharing the gospel and at the same time, looking back and remembering how great he was. The, the whole point of Passover was to teach every generation about the faithfulness of God and that he is the deliverer. I, I, still, I still get excited every time I see Passover on the calendar because it matters. Because God was faithful to the children of Israel, just as he was faithful to me when he allowed Jesus to die on the cross. And it's not an accident that those two events are so close together. And the day after Passover, on that very day, they ate the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. And I thought, why is that in the book? You ever see details and you're like, why is that little detail in there? Well, this is why. And the manna ceased the day after they ate the produce of the land, and there was no longer manna for the people of Israel. But they ate the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. No more manna. I know they complained about it a bunch, but they also had become dependent on it. But manna also represented the previous season of their life. I think sometimes we get caught, and I threw this question in, are we starving because we want the easy meal of manna from the previous season of our life? Or are we doing the work to feast on the good of the promised land? Are we going out there and and really going after God, really going after his word in our life, or are we relying on someone else to spoon feed it to us? Are, are we relying on the easy version of it? And I'll, I'll just tell you that 
and I'm not knocking it at all. I, I do it as part of my routine every day, but the, the Bible app that keeps streaks for you, you know, every day you go to it, they give you a verse of the day. Here's a newsflash for some of us. They have reading plans on there so you can go deeper instead of getting the easy five minutes a day. Don't do easy. You're not called to the easy. I'm, I'm telling you now, a good, uh, this is me going to lunch here, a good steak is not easy. There's some work that goes into a good steak. A good brisket, even more work. And patience. Whew. Ever try to make a brisket in an hour? I hope you got better teeth than I do, because that'd be rough. But sometimes that's how we treat God's Word. One meal a week where we can just scoop it into a cup and, and take it easy. How about sharing the gospel? It's easy to share the gospel in church. It's easy to share the gospel amongst ourselves, but what about out in the world where you don't know how they'll react? It's a different world out there. I mean, we got people out there believing that they're animals. It's a different world. We got people believing a lot of messed up stuff because, to be fair, the church started living on manna again instead of going for the good of the land. When Joshua was by Jericho, this is where we're wrapping up today, so hang on just a minute. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No. I love that. He doesn't answer the question at all. He says, No. Are you for us or are you for our enemies? No. But I am the commander of the army of the Lord. And, he's, and now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped him and said, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take, off, take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now you want to talk about a completely different version of the script than Moses had. Moses was doing what he normally does and looks off and sees a burning bush that's not consumed. And if you remember the account, he says, I must turn aside and go see that. Joshua didn't get that. Joshua got a mighty warrior in front of him with a sword in his hand. In those days, to, to you know, reach back and get a little bit of John Wayne, those were fighting words, Pilgrim. Without picking a fight. Joshua went up to confront this dude ready for a fight because you don't show up with a sword in your hand if you don't intend to fight somebody. And Joshua just calls him out. Are you for us or for our enemies? And this guy just says, no. No. 
well, you know, what do you want me to do? If you're the commander of the Lord's army and, and he says something to him that Joshua will know, take the sandals off your feet for the place you're standing is holy ground. Joshua had that holy ground moment that Moses had. And, and we don't get the full picture of why that happened. But... But I know enough about human nature to know that one of the, the easiest lies that we tell ourselves that the enemy uses to keep us from becoming who God has called us to be, it, in psychology they have a term for it called imposter syndrome, where that really can't be me. And, and Joshua was told by God, in the first part of Joshua over and over as I was with Moses so will I be with you as I was with Moses so will I be with you do not be afraid he tells him over and over be strong and of good courage because I'm going to be with you just like I was with Moses you think Joshua doubted that it would be very easy if I'm Joshua to doubt that especially when you get up there and and you know, one of the first things God asks you to do when you come across the river is circumcise people. Have to do that. And now, you know, you've, you've sent spies. You've looked at Jericho. You know what's up ahead. You know what's up ahead. I want you to understand that when we have doubt, God has a contingency plan for your doubt. God is willing to step in and squash that doubt if you're willing to meet with Him. And the thing that Joshua has proven over and over through his life, if you paid attention during the time of Moses, multiple times the Word of God tells us, and Joshua remained in the tent in the presence of the Lord. Joshua was preparing to be something that Moses could not be. And he has this holy ground moment that is completely different than Moses. Moses had a burning bush where God spoke to him. Joshua received the commands from the word of the Lord through the commander of God's armies, which to see an angel in those days, but not just an angel. This is an angel who's a warrior with a sword. The only person prior to this that got to see that was uh, a donkey. <laughs> And, and then the owner of said donkey got to, to see it too. And he was terrified, if you read the account. Joshua, I don't know if he was terrified or if he's just that much of a brawler. But he has this holy ground moment. And God met Joshua in a different way, in a unique way to fit Joshua. Joshua wasn't going to be called to be a shepherd. He was going to be called to be a general. And that's a struggle, I think, for a lot of us because we, we can't differentiate between the two. But uh, shepherds, if you, if you really listened uh, to the dynamics in the, in the Old Testament, shepherds were not meek, mild, weak individuals. They fought off wild animals with very crude weaponry. And, and to think that, you know, the greatest general of the entire Old Testament is David. 
was a shepherd. But Joshua wasn't called to be a shepherd. He was called to be a man of war. So God met him as he would meet a man of war. God's not going to call each one of you to be a pastor. He's going to meet you in a way that is unique to you. That's the beautiful thing about God. He loves us all equally and he's willing to meet us exactly where we are. He didn't want Joshua to be Moses. He needed Joshua to be who he had made him to be. Not Moses 2.0. You know why I don't preach like Billy Graham? Because I'm not Billy Graham. I don't preach like a bunch of cats because I'm not them. Praise God. There, there's a few. No, I'm not going to pick on dudes. I'm not throwing rocks today. But God has made His covenant with you to be uniquely who He made you to be. I can't be Scott. I can't be Larry. I can't be Dale. I can't be Nathan. I can't be Brent. I can keep naming off guys that I love that are mighty men of God. I'm not called to be them. I'm called to be JJ. I'm the only one he made. And he's called me to build a very specific part of his kingdom. If I spend all my time working on Dale's part of the wall, does the wall get finished? No. It's like building fence. It goes a lot faster if you got a bunch of guys that can go drive T-posts really does. If it's just one dude driving post, it can take a while. Now, unfortunately, we can't all stretch wire at the same time. But we can all run clips afterwards. Oh, I hate that job. I'm not a fence builder most of the time. If I can afford it, I hire that out. But the thing is, you can't hire out for the responsibility that God's called you to. And no one else can fulfill the uniqueness that God put in you. So, are you searching out the good in the land? Are you operating, is the term they use in the military for when people go and they do the specific job that they have? Are you operating in the arena of life that God's called you to be? Are you actively looking to build his kingdom everywhere you go? And are you, are you feasting on the good of the land? I'm telling you, God's word is a promised land all itself that he longs for you to get into and conquer to where you don't just have it up here, but you have it all through your life and the Word of God just flows through you. And you can't help it. You can't help the way you love people like He does. Uh, I may still get this t-shirt that Steve Sparks sent me that said, I love God. It's just some of His children I have problems with. <laughs> because... 
because every time I would read that and get a good chuckle at it, I thought I'm one of his children I have the most problems with. But God has called us. And I love the way Paul phrases it in the New Testament. Nay, in all these things, you're more than conquerors. And I don't know, I can't prove that Joshua was having imposter syndrome when God met him on holy ground. But the in the series of the account, when he goes to question the angel of the Lord's armies, he didn't go with humility until the angel identified himself. And then he said, what must I do? And then he had that holy ground moment. And from then on, you'll see throughout Joshua that, that Joshua will say what God said to him. Where Moses would write it down, God said this, and then Moses would relay it to the people. Joshua cuts that out and he simply goes to, and the word of the Lord came to Joshua saying, very rarely does he repeat it to the people. The only thing that I see in reading of Joshua where Joshua gives the word of God to the people is he reads them the law. Every word of it. You just think this is a long sermon. And Joshua, after that holy ground moment, it throughout the recordings of the story, Joshua himself never falters away from the mission. Now, the children of Israel will struggle a couple times. And there will be people that come in and deceive the better nature of them. We're, we're going to get to see all that in the next few weeks. We'll learn the, the quick lessons of war. And, and, and at some point, I'll just break it down for you why the promised land mattered. Geographically, it matters. And, and it still matters geographically, which is really cool. But this week, are you feasting on the good of the land? Heavenly Father, thank you for your...